0: Take a look behind the curtain with a real whistleblower and American Patriot. Prepare to embrace the uncomfortable truth, because this program has no time for comforting lies. Here is civil liberties enthusiast, Second Amendment defender, and recovering FBI agent Kyle Serafin. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Kyle Serafin Show. Today is Monday. It's June the 19th in 2023. We are celebrating Juneteenth. A holiday that dates back to 1865, but was made a federal holiday last year or the year before. Actually, it was in 2021 by President Joe Biden. We're going to talk about that. My guest today is going to be Ryan Matta. I'll be bringing him on very shortly. But first, I want to say a quick thank you to my sponsors. Um, Let's do Patriot Coolers really quickly here. Patriot Coolers. You can go to PatriotCoolers.com. You can use promo code KYLE, K-Y-L-E, and you'll get 10% off. You'll get free shipping if you spend more than 50 bucks, which is pretty easy to do. And let's just say this, uh, Patriot Coolers have been with me for years, literally years. I was using them on surveillance when I was working as an FBI agent. I've used them as I've traveled across the country, including moving my whole family since the Bureau and I broke up. And I had them at the splash pad yesterday. In fact, you'll see that in some of my tweets coming out. Use promo code KYLE, K-Y-L-E, and you can get that 10% off for any of the things they have. You're seeing their hard coolers there, which I would say are as good or better than a Yeti, because they don't say Yeti, they say Patriot, just like you. Kyle, K-Y-L-E is the promo code that gets you 10% off. And then let me also say a quick thank you to my friends over at Catholic Vote. I was just reading the Loopcast today. Um, The Loop is their email. It comes out every morning. And if you go there, you can, uh, if you see catholicvote.org, you can Sign up for the same email that I get. It's got all kinds of interesting information. It's got uh, stuff showing that there, in fact, have been some pro-life activists that have been abused, and they are not seeing the uh, those who were fighting them prosecuted. Two elderly people were praying outside of an abortion clinic. Uh, they were shoved to the ground. Uh, just exactly the same thing that we saw with the Mark Houck story, and yet uh, these people were standing and exercising their First Amendment rights not being prosecuted on the uh, the attacker side. So very interesting stuff there. You can see that they've been organizing a boycott against the Dodgers for bringing the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence into, their, um, into the uh, Dodger Stadium, and there were thousands of people that showed up to, to get involved and uh, push back against that. So doing great work. Again, a great organization for faith, family, and freedom. I actually just found out, ladies and gentlemen, I found out that the city that I live in, Liberty Hill, Texas, has a— official motto, and the motto is faith, family, and freedom. So what are the odds of that? The same same motto that you see on Catholic Vote is actually the motto of the town that I live in in Texas, America. All right, without further ado, I want to bring on my buddy and uh, a special guest of the Kyle Seraphin Show. Here is Ryan Matta. Ryan, welcome to the show, bud. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah. Well, thanks for jumping in. So, uh, I, I see Ryan this morning. He jumps on to this call with me. We get ready to go live. And I notice he's wearing a blazer. He's looking very professional. Uh, if you're not watching on the, uh, on the rumble channel live as we go right now, you'll, uh, you're missing out on seeing a very dapper looking man who is wearing a dark blazer and a gray shirt. So I wearing a black shirt, I decided to put on a gray blazer. So we are now the inverse of each other.
1: Funny, I had a black shirt on right before uh, when we first went live, and then I seen neither on a gray blazer and a black shirt. I'm like, I can't have a black shirt on and a black blazer. I need to get a gray shirt on. He
0: flipped the <laughs> script on me, and so we are rolling. So today we want to talk about fatherhood, because yesterday was Father's Day. Um, we're going to discuss some of the uh, the intricacies, I guess, of raising a Gen Z uh, young man, which is uh, is, that's your lot in life, and mine are actually younger. I don't even know what generation my kids are, because mine haven't even hit that.
1: They name it? I think- Gen Z is born after 2013 or 13, 2013 or after. So I okay. think you have Gen Z, you're raising Gen Z as well, if I'm not I, mistaken. I've got baby,
0: baby Gen Zs then, because my, yep. my kiddos are younger than yours. Um, how old is your son? My son's nine. Nine years old. Okay. So he's got a couple years on mine, but uh, those three years are probably a big difference compared to my, my six-year-old. Um, <laughs> all right. So we're going to get into fatherhood. I want to uh, just start by what I normally ask people, which is, you know, tell people where you grew up, kind of how you grew up, and... Um, And maybe sort of your experience with your father, which I know is going to be uh, kind of interesting to folks.
1: Yeah, I grew up in a, I guess, middle-class neighborhood. Uh, My parents were both, my mom was a waitress. My father was a bricklayer, or my stepdad, I should say, was a bricklayer. Um, I pretty much had anything I I really needed or wanted as a kid, as far as clothes, food, I played sports. Um, There wasn't really much that my stepdad did not provide for me. And I was very, very lucky, I guess, growing up, knowing that I had, I, I guess, uh, let me say this again, when I turned 25, I really realized I was able to look back and realize what a amazing stepfather I had. Uh, the guy gave me everything. He would give me the shirt off his back. Anytime I needed anything. He was there when I played sports, uh, he was so into sports that he would sit by himself. So he wouldn't even sit with our family because he thought it was bad luck. If he even went to the bathroom during like a hockey game, he was there at every single game, every single practice, never missed a second of a game. So I was very, very fortunate growing up.
0: Now, that's not necessarily common for everybody with a stepdad. I think it's hard. I think it's hard to imagine that uh, someone who is not your your flesh and blood, but I do have friends who were adopted and they had similar experiences where, you know, dad was 100% all in, but that's a conscious choice. It's maybe not the same biological imperative than uh, than we see when when your kids are are flesh and blood and, and share that with you. So you lucked out with that, but that means that uh, you, you're. what happened to your biological father?
1: Uh, my real father passed away when I was a month and a half old. So that's kind of where I, where I developed this mindset. When I had my son, it was, I was going to do, I wanted to be the father that I wish I had, if that made sense. So from the second, th- I'll put it this way. When I felt my son kick in my mom's in his mom's stomach for the first time, I rode my Harley Davidson over to her house that night and we were, we were sitting on the couch and she, and he kicked for the first time. And I, that was the last time I drove my Harley. I rode it home that night, put it up for sale, and sold it instantly because there was no way I was going to allow my son to grow up without a father.
0: Yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's an interesting instinct. I also sort of stopped riding motorcycles for the most part when uh, when I had my first, and uh, I don't know if that was my choice or my wife's choice, but either way, I, I'm willing to accept it. Uh, let, let's talk a little bit about the challenge that you had because you're not just a guy who had a, a child but you had a you actually had a fight to be a father in your son's life Good. so maybe maybe tell people the scenario um you you rode over to feel your son kick for the first time but uh it wasn't under the maybe the best circumstances right
1: yeah that's right yeah me and my son's mom were we were at a point in our relationship that we were kind of just friends, you know, when you get to that point in a relationship where you're just friends and you know, you're young, I think I was like 24. So just doing spiteful things like, Oh, I'm going to go out and party and not come home. And, you know, just to like get to get under each other's skin. And it it just was a, got to a point where we really just decided we were just going to be friends. But at that point, her mother absolutely despised me. So her parents offered her to, to buy her a modular home. If she left me and refused to let me see the child. So when she was pregnant being super emotional, she had, I guess like a like a second coming where she, she wanted me around. So I was able to come back. Um, re- so I felt her kicking in his stomach and then I basically didn't pretty much talk to her until like maybe like a month before she was about to have him. And then she was just so pregnant and by herself and alone. And there's just things that, uh, that your parents can't provide for you, you need somebody else to talk to. So she let me come back into his into her life for a couple months before he was born, maybe like a month before he was born. He was born. I was there when he was born. Got to sign the birth certificate, cut the umbilical cord. It was by far the the greatest moment of my life. Seeing your first child be born. There's there's nothing like it. I mean, everything in your life just changed instantly. But then uh, about two weeks later, she wanted me to just walk away. She wanted me to walk away. She's like, you don't have to pay any child support. Just I'll sign everything over. You can just walk away. And and that's what that's what my parents are are basically suggesting. And that's what my parents want. Uh, she didn't even put wouldn't even put my last name on the birth certificate.
0: So So, you said your parents were asking you to walk away as well. Is that correct?
1: No, no. Her parents were.
0: Okay. So she's got family saying, Hey, you know, let's just cut this off. Um, She's asking for that. She's willing to let you go scot-free, no, no child support, no presence in his life and sort of just out of sight, out of mind. Correct. What what did that feel like um, when, when that offer was made?
1: I, I still remember it to this day. It was just like, almost like you're losing control. Like, like your entire world is being ripped out of your hands. Uh, your, your, your heart's being ripped out of your chest. You know, I, it was just, it was a no brainer. I was at an attorney's office the next morning with $1,500. I had served her, I think within like seven days or something like that of, of her making that phone call. I immediately stopped talking to her and she kept trying to like call back after she got served and argue with me. And I'm like, listen, we're not going to see the eye to eye. There's no point in us sitting on the phone and screaming at each other. You're never gonna see my point of view. I'm never gonna see your point of view. Let's go to the courthouse and let's let a judge decide. And that's pretty much how it went for the next year. Honestly, Um, we didn't really talk. We went to court. I got, because if you're, when you go to court, I don't know about other states, but in Michigan, if you're, if the father is Jesus Christ and the mother absolutely despises you and you've never had, and your child doesn't know who you are. So like after he was born there was like a three month period before we could actually get into a court, that I didn't see him. So technically I was quote unquote, a stranger to my child. So they're never gonna force a mother to hand a baby over to a stranger. You have to develop that relationship with them. And you basically won't get overnights or anything besides um, you know, your visitation for the first year until the child's one years old. So from the time he was born to the time he was one, I got supervised visits every other weekend with one of my relatives had to be there. I couldn't drive with my son. It was this huge, basically, string of events of things that I had to basically comply with. But I was, but so to take a step back. So my thought process was childhood amnesia, right? So your child's not gonna remember anything before the age of three, unless it's super, super traumatic. So I said, okay, I'll play this game while, well, and that's when I really wanted to change my life. So I went and got a new job, went to work, I was working overtime, double time. And I was doing everything I could to provide the best life for my child. I wanted to make sure he had insurance. I wanted to make sure I had a job that had 401k, paid vacations, time off. And I wanted to work somewhere that was gonna pay for my school because I didn't go to college at that time. So basically from that moment on, it was just, I'm gonna do everything I can to be the best father humanly possible. And since I can't see my son, I'm gonna be working to better my son, if that makes sense. And that's that was really my mission. And then the from this, like, it was like the day after what, that one year mark was happened to be on a Christmas and she agreed that she was going to had those supervised visits but i had my my dad's dad so i wanted to go to my mom's side of the family and my dad's side of the family for christmas and she agreed that i could finally pick him up and take him to my mom's side of the family for a couple hours my dad's side of the family and then bring him back home to her that night and he was a year old and, yep he was a year old and i called her i said hey i'm going to be coming over at like noon uh, to pick up mason and she goes well your mom's going to be with you right and i go no my mom's at her side of the family so i'm going to bevan my my dad's side of the family's first And she goes oh well i i just don't think i'm comfortable with that i said all right jess thanks and i hung up on her and then it was like the i don't know january 1st i had already went to the courthouse or january 2nd right after the holidays i was in the courthouse the first day that they opened uh filing to basically go back to court again to get to get my custody changed and at that point uh i went back without an attorney and she went with a ten thousand dollar attorney and basically, I just cleaned house. Uh, you know, I was a great father, never missed a visit, never missed a child support payment. And the judge, and I don't know about all cases, but most of the time, the courts don't want to take a, a child from a father. If you're being a good father, the courts are going to side in your favor. Uh, you just have to show up and you have to be consistent. You have to do it again. So I did that, got more custody. And then I think when it was like the three-year mark is when you can basically go back again if circumstances changed and we both moved so there was a change in circumstance. I was able to take them back, and basically now I have 50-50, and we get along great now.
0: And you had to go do all the – had you ever dealt with an attorney or the court system before any of this?
1: I, yeah, I got a DUI when I was like 18 or something, but that's about it.
0: <laughs> okay, but not but not civil. I mean, that's a criminal situation. No. That's a light uh, criminal so you knew to go get an attorney and then you started representing yourself. You said when he was about a year old, is that correct?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. The first attorney, well, I had two attorneys. The first one was just a sleazeball kept saying like, oh yeah. I'm like, listen, I don't have any more money. Like I'm, I'm barely able to get by. I don't have more money. He i oh, just go get another 15. Oh, can't you ask your grandma for another 1500? Can't you ask your parents for another 1500? You don't have anybody that can give you more money. We got to grease the wheel. And I was just like, you know, he's just a greasy attorney. And uh, I felt that. So I, so I canned him, hired a second one and that guy was just great. Um, he, Gregory Dean. He's an amazing attorney. He took care of me. He's the one who got me through my first court date. And then the second one was, it was just to the point where I was just like, what What am I going to pay this attorney for? I'm a great dad. I, 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 mean, and I just wanted to, I guess, I guess I felt like I was willing to risk it because I had nothing to lose. Like they weren't going to take anything away from me. She wasn't going to give me anything more. How, what was it going to hurt if I went there and represented myself? Because if, if that failed, then I was going to go get an attorney and take her back again. So I did went without, without one. And I just, I did everything that they told me to do the first time. I never missed a visit, never missed anything. I was just very confident that they weren't going to take any time away from me. So I had nothing left to lose. So our buddy,
0: uh, Eric Jason in the chat, who's one of our moderators is saying that's a whole lot of crap, just trying to be a dad, um, an uphill battle. And I think a lot of men at least recently have, have walked away from fatherhood with difficulties like that. What, uh, what sort of mindset were you, were you holding on to? as you kind of fought an uphill court battle, knowing that this is a three-year fight, not knowing how long it's going to take to get access. I mean, some of these things must have weighed on you, especially because even though you're, what, 24, 25, 26 at that time, that's still pretty young for men. Like, a lot of us don't develop. Like, I was still a moron when I was 27. So I imagine some of this stuff had to kind of weigh on you, and you had to have some moments.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of mornings. uh, You know, I, I, I I still have the notes in my phone where I thought that, you know, maybe I might not make it a couple of years, right? Like if something happened and I died and I never got to develop that relationship. So there was a time there where I was writing a letter to my son, I'm going to get choked up <laughs> every morning, uh, driving to work, uh, just in case that I wasn't here, you know? Yeah. Uh, what, so yeah, there was what, a lot of,
0: uh, what sort of thoughts were you sharing during those times? If you don't mind, I know, I mean, being a father is an emotional experience. There's no question about it. And then when, especially when you start thinking about like the possibility of leaving your kids behind and. Um, you know, it, that's probably the scariest thing that guys like you and I can face. It's like, well, what happens if I'm not there? Because it's a really weird world that we're looking at. You were just sending me some stuff from some of the Gen Zers out there in the world, these 20 year old kids that are acting like total morons. And, you know, I assume it's because they didn't have a good father in their life to straighten them out Mm -hmm. and and tell them what kind of thoughts were you leaving for your, for your son? If that, if you didn't make it just.
1: Yeah. Just, I was just trying to, to tell him what type of person you wanted to be when you grow up you know, learning from uh, trying to like walk him through some of the the big mistakes that I've made in my life, you know, uh, where you, where you're younger, you just think your friends are everything, you know, and runs over your family and, but you, you end up spending more time with your friends. And it's like the people that you surround yourself with, like they become your family in a way. Um, so I uh, just, just trying to help him understand how important family is and, and being respectful and respecting adults and going to school and getting a good, and, and reading, you know, and trying to, trying to start your own business and and grow up and be a productive member of society. I mean, it was a long time ago. I should, I'll probably have to go through them again, but that was probably along the lines of what I was saying.
0: Yeah, sure. Now, one of the things that you've done is you've built your life up in such a way and people can see behind you. If you're not watching our, our Rumble channel, you'll, you're missing out on the background there, but there's a uh, L-F-A-T-V, which is one of the things that you do, and it's one of the the many sort of uh, pies that you got your hand in. But you've built a life where you can be around for your kid. You've sort of built your life around uh, being available for Mason, and he's not the afterthought. I feel like in in some ways, it's the primary thought for your your time. Kind of tell people how you built that life up and, and maybe where that started, because I know it goes back a, kind of a long ways.
1: Yeah, so I was... Uh, I want to say he was probably two or three. When I start, when I first got into, um, eBay, actually, I think I was like designing shirts. Like I bought a pretty, like a shirt press and I was like, Oh, I'm going to start a t-shirt company and sell these shirts, you know? Nice. And then that kind of got into, um, selling things on, on eBay and Amazon. Mm-hmm. And then I, uh, at one point I was, I, I took a, I had bought a charger and I wanted to sell a chart, like a, a car charge, like a cell phone charger. I had bought one, didn't need it. It was like a $20 charger on the go. I'm, like, oh, I'm going to throw it on eBay. And I think I threw it on eBay. I priced it wrong for like $22 or $23 or $25. I think I priced it $5 more than I paid it and I sold it. And then the person said it was broke. And I was like, oh, crap. I got to order another one of these because it, it got to him and it was broke. And I was like, oh, I wonder if I can get on Amazon and I can just order one on Amazon and have it ship right to his house. And then it clicked on me. I go, oh my gosh, I can go on Amazon and I can screenshot images of a product that somebody's selling on Amazon. I can go list it for $10 more on eBay. And when they order it, I go on Amazon and they just ship it directly to their house drop shipping. Right. And that was back before everybody was really drop shipping. So there was a time where I made almost a hundred grand in a year, just drop shipping things between eBay and Amazon. And then that's where, uh, then I got into selling a whole bunch of different things on eBay, Yeti's, coolers, hats, sunglasses, you name it. And that's where I really, I was working a job, but then outside of my job, I was, I was producing money, not working. And then the, then once you really start to see like, okay, I can invest a little bit of time. Like the time was creating the listings and and designing the listings and getting listed on eBay. But after somebody ordered it, it was literally like one second of copying, pasting their address and boom. And I make five bucks do that 10 times in a day. And I started thinking like, okay, if I can make a hundred extra dollars a day, I can save to retirement, right? Like, <laughs> That was the name of the game. And then I got into designing clothes and then I really started uh, a full on Amazon business. I had one of the fastest growing EDM uh, clothing lines in the United States back in 2019. You say EDM? Yes. uh, Electronic music. So that was a point in my life where you go and you take like the, the Amazon guru classes that are going to teach you how to become an Amazon millionaire. And they're, Oh, you got to find a niche. You got to find a niche, right? And I'm like thinking like, okay, well, what, what, what niche am I going to find that somebody hasn't already cracked? And then I was selling, um, boxers with like pockets in them, you know, like on like the side, for, like your cell phone. Mm-hmm. And then, then they started, people started taking them into festivals to like hide their. You can't take like, like an open vape or chapstick into like, these festivals. They, they were wanted pockets with boxers in them. And then it just turned <laughs> into, wanted... I met my so they... ex, one of my ex-girlfriends was into EDM. So she's like, oh, you should design. So you should design a bikini. And I was like, okay, I, she called my sp- supplier in China. She threw me up some prototypes and it just happened to hit it out of the park first try. And then <laughs> so this- one light after another after another, and I had a whole clothing line.
0: What what is specific to EDM when it comes to uh, to clothing that they were looking for? And also, I appreciate that you you listen to that kind of music. You listen to like, or at least you had somebody that was around you and it, and you just said, "Screw it, I'm going to dig into this." Not not oh, the most like hyper masculine, yeah. but I I actually really like something with a driving beat if I'm going to go for a jog. People would laugh like a lot of dudes listen to metal, and I listen to things like that. So I know I know what you were talking about. It's
1: funnier. Our first date, uh, she was actually picking me up, and she she picked me up. She goes, "Oh, what do you listen to?" I go anything, but that EDM garbage, that, doof, 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 that, sh- that is so gay. And she goes, I go, what are you listening to? She goes, oh, EDM. I'm <laughs> just like, and you're like, oh cool. yeah, it's my favorite. You, you, do, you do the straight pivot.
0: You can't, so, you can't just like stand on that one. You got to
1: act like it didn't even happen. <laughs> That's classic. No, I think I don't think she said EDM, right? She she's like, oh, I like country. I, I kind of like EDM, you know. And then like a couple months later, I found out that EDM was her total thing. Like that she was at festivals jam. and yeah.
0: So and and people spend a bunch of money on specific clothes to go to festivals. Is that what you're kind of?
1: How, well, you how did you figure? How did you figure out about they wanted it, Right? Is I'm never going to have competition. Okay. I'm never going to have competition selling. Like, they wear pasties like girls wear like the pasty nipple covers. They wear really skinny bikinis. They wear like reflective things. Cause it's at most of the things are at night. So anything that glows in the dark black light, reflective guys wear basically like t-shirts with like neon designs, So that when they go in the black light, they really like change colors Mm -hmm. Uh, girls put like that. I had like a whole glitter line. I vibe glitter line. It was like the, like the glitter flakes, like they take like the eyelash glue and they put it on their face and they sprinkle the glitter on it. And then they put like the rhinestone little gems on their, on their face, a whole bunch of weird stuff, man. <laughs> it's a really weird industry. I don't really know how I got into it, but so it was I, the niche.
0: I, I got to imagine that the, the hardest thing for most people when they're starting a business up like this and they're looking at it, first of all, they've got, uh, they've got kid and you've got the kid to, to worry about supporting. You've got payments you got to make, right? You got, you got child support payments, so you can't be missing on that. And they're taking a risk. How much of the uh, how much of the risk were you aware of that you were going to be sinking money in and, and maybe nothing comes out of it?
1: So my motto was if I can work 16 to 20 hours a day, seven days a week for two years straight, there's really nothing you can't accomplish. So so the risk really wasn't there for me because I didn't take any I didn't leave my job. I didn't take any time off work. Everything that I did running my company was on the side on top of it so outside of losing time but at the time you know right i was until my son was three i didn't really have even when he was three i didn't have the i only had every other weekend so i had all this time free and i just again every time every second i didn't have my son i was dedicating that time to generating revenue for a business building a business so the risk really wasn't there until i until i quit my job so at at the time where i got to a point where i said okay i'm going to quit my job and i'm going to do this full time that's when I, I I took the the massive risk, I guess you would say.
0: Yeah, I guess so. Now, when it comes to a risk, there's also um, you know a certain amount of confidence you have to have in yourself. Uh, people may not know this because you can be a very successful content creator on YouTube and nobody's ever heard of you because the the markets are so many. There's so many people in the market that are looking for this. But folks, I'm just going to let you guys know. I went and took it uh, took a look at Ryan's youtube page today and it claims like the youtube stats actually say over 52 million views total views did you know that by the way
1: no i didn't No.
0: (laughs) so over 52 million total views you have 166 thousand followers on there when did you start that channel
1: i started that channel and actually it was a father-son channel interesting way back in the very very day when my son was so that would have been like 2013 i mean he was still crawling when i was taking him through like sky zones and all the places, and it was going to be a father-son motivational channel. That was the very first thing that it started into.
0: And now it's full of all kinds of other stuff. You obviously got into the crypto space, you've gotten into politics and, and, uh, kind of some of the stuff you're doing right now. But most of those views, I think were probably more recent than, um,
1: Mm -hmm. than when you first started with father-son motivation. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's all of them. (laughs) All the views. They were actually that, that last in like, no, from like, the it would have been when we were, when I met you, Kyle, was that like in November from like November, December, uh, I got like 23 million views in December and then I think, or in November, I got 23 million views just in that month alone. And cool. then in December I got, uh, like 27 million or 25 million or something like that. That's, that's a lot.
0: That's, that seems like so many eyeballs too. When you start fathoming those numbers, like I know they're just, they're just numbers on a screen, but that's a human being that's got eyes on something you're doing. It's pretty amazing. Like the size of an audience like that.
1: Um, that's being censored, shadow banned, silenced. Yeah, so I, I want to talk about all those things. I
0: think we'll kind of talk about that down the line. Um, let's, let's kind of talk about how you decided that you were ready to go cut the ties with a, sort of the safety net of a regular job and punch into it full speed, and then also maybe how your son factored into that decision as it was coming up.
1: So my Amazon business was a business designed to to generate you more money with doing very less work. So that, that was my mindset all. I never wanted to start a business where I had to work more to make more money. If that makes sense. If you're owning a restaurant and a manager quits, you're going to have to fill in for that manager. You kind of still have to oversee to make sure your manager is not stealing from you. You have employees that want to talk to you, even though you're, you have a manager in place. It just involves you to be there. An yep. asphalt company, a construction company, you want to bid on new houses. You want to go get more work. You have to work more to make more money. Now, Amazon is, is a really, really unique animal. Now, uh, I tried to do an "Made in America" collection because a lot of people are probably going to give me a hard time because 100% of my products were made and manufactured in China. Mm-hmm. Right, so everything ships from China directly into Amazon. Sorry, my mic was a little low. Uh, everything ships directly from China into Amazon, and there's software's out there that connect to your Amazon page, and Amazon can. When you're selling like a pair of boxers, let's say you're selling boxers on Amazon. And Amazon knows how many boxers you averagely sell a day, a week, a month, they track your inventory. So when your inventory level gets to a specific threshold, they can create what's called like a, a need to fill order. Like, Hey, this item is going to run out. And then you connect the, the program to another software. <clears throat> and in that software, it has the specific item. So when Amazon says, Hey, you're out of this item, it sends like a, a note to this software and the software realizing and goes, okay, you just sold X amount of products in the last 90 days. We, you need to, you need to, you need to send in X amount of a shipment. And then it connects directly to my supplier in China. So when I'd get low on a product in, in Amazon warehouses, it would send a note to my software. My software would generate an invoice. It would send the invoice directly to my supplier. My supplier would, would modify the invoice. Maybe material went up by 10 cents an ounce or whatever the case may be. And then she would send me a final purchase order or I would pay that purchase order. After I would pay that purchase order, that's all I'd have to do is pay one invoice order. And I would have to log into Amazon and generate a, a invoice shipping label. So when she sends the products from China directly into Amazon, she needs a special label. So I would have to pay an invoice and and give her a label. Take me about three minutes, maybe five to 10 actually, a month, a week, a day. And I was able to, I was I had one point, like $1.7 million, or sorry, no, I had $300,000 worth of products in three different warehouses in Mexico, Canada, and, uh, the United States. And I just stocked $300,000 products worth it. And we we're getting ready to kick off festival season It was awesome. So, but I was only ha- I was at a, at a point where I'd only have to work four hours a week and I was doing roughly $125,000 a month in sales. And that was the worst month of the year getting ready to scale into festival season. And yeah,
0: and, and so what is the, what's the profit margin on these things look like? Cause obviously everyone's got to get it a cut. There's uh, you know, the software's got to cost you a little bit, the inventory, the warehousing and all that kind of things, everything goes in a circle, but you're still going to, if you're working four hours a week, I, I imagine it was worth your time.
1: Very much. So man, I, so <laughs> four hours a week is where we are getting to or right. the, I guess the big picture goal of where I could get, get to, right. I was still probably working about 20 to 30 at, at that time. Sure. But I was launching a lot of new products. I was doing things. But the the idea was that I was going to have a business that I could work roughly four to 10 hours a week. And that business is going to generate me millions. And then what happens? COVID. I have an EDM festival clothing line. um,
0: That's based on in-person events.
1: Yeah. Mass public gatherings, uh, pool parties, events, maybe concerts, and then big, big, big festivals were the main thing. Yep, and that was the first month I broke over a hundred and a hundred thousand in sales was March of that would have been twenty twenty. Whoa,
0: and so just totally derailed based on that.
1: Yeah, I went from doing one hundred and twenty five thousand a month in sales to seven.
0: Seven thousand or $7? seven dollars.
1: Seven thousand. Okay. Which is absolutely nothing, and those were just the products that weren't related to festivals that I still had on the shelves. And then if you count the probably five to ten thousand I had that month in returns because I just sold 125,000. Everybody bought all these brand new clothes to go to the festival, which was ultra music festival. And then lost lands and there. They are all lining up within like, I mean, March and ultra and like March 15th kicks off festival season. So I had ordered and then they canceled ultra. So I had all these girls that were like, oh, I'm not, I just bought this to wear it just to this one festival. I'm not going well, I might as well return it. So I probably, I probably had a negative probably three or four grand that month. If I just had to take a guess.
0: So that was the big derailer. And then did you ever try to restart that or are you working on relaunching these things or is it even worth your
1: time? No. So Amazon has a policy where it's, uh, you can only send in things that you sell within six months. So I might pay 10 cents, 25, 35 cents per item per month that I have sitting on a shelf in Amazon. If you hit the six month period, you can either pull them back and and remove them from inventory or. You have to pay long-term storage fees and your long-term storage fees go from like, like I said, 25 cents to $5 per item. It Whoa. is absolutely astronomical because the Amazon, one of their biggest problems when Amazon was at its peak was warehouse space. They legit could not build warehouses fast enough to hold all the inventory that people were selling in. So if you were shipping in products to Amazon that we're not selling, you were the cog in the wheel. And they wanted to make sure that you didn't do that time and time and time and time again because they can't afford to sit there and house all these products that aren't selling it's just not beneficial to them so yeah at the six month mark i had to pull off all this inventory i I donated so much i can't even tell you how much money how many outfits and things i've donated to salvation army and given away to friends and just honestly threw out a lot too so yeah i had to pull all that back I i had some partners at the time as well that just really didn't do anything. They were really crappy partners. Uh, They were more so investors and I didn't need investors. I needed partners. I was working full time at, you know, when I brought them on as partners and they just, yeah. So it just wasn't, it wasn't worth it. But at the end, my suppliers that manufactured the clothing were like, hey, we wanna shut down our factories and make PPE supplies. Instead of taking the 20,000 that we owe you in products for your EDM clothing, can we send you PPE supplies? I was like, called Amazon. I was like, Hey, can I send these in? They're like, yeah. And in a long story short, I got stuck with a bunch of PPE products, sold like a hundred grand worth of PPE products in the first 90 days of the pandemic. And then kind of just took a seat back and, uh, was like, well, what do I do now? And that's when I went back to Thai summit for maybe like six months, maybe a year. And I think it was only six months. I went back there for six months. And in the process of, uh, growing the YouTube channel, my YouTube channel just started to take off. And at that point I was so used to the lifestyle that I had built that allowed me to spend every second with my son, even though I knew that YouTube wasn't going to pay me as much as my job did. And I was going to have to take a hit for a little bit and kind of struggle to put a roof over my son's head. It was going to be worth it because I, you know, once you go to every time that you have your son, that you're there with him every second, you don't want to give that up, man. It's it's hard.
0: What is, what is your, uh, your custody split look like for time? Like what days do you get and what days does she have? And how do you guys work that out?
1: Yeah, I get them Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. So I got five days, one week. And then the next week I get, um, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or, or sometimes just Thursday and Friday. Okay. And so five days, about three or two days, five days, three or two days. And that's our, that's our summer arrangement. But like I said, we are absolute best friends now. I could call her up right now and say, Hey, can I come get Mason to take him out fishing or do anything? Not no questions asked. She'd let me.
0: So how did you guys get there? How did you get there from? She doesn't want you to sign papers. She's fighting you in court to where you guys are at right now. Like, what do you, what do you attribute that to
1: her mother being kind of a crappy mom? Mm -hmm. So her mother was the one that basically drove the wedge between us. But then there was a couple of times where her and her mom got in a fight and she had nobody, but I was still there for her. right? So no matter how shitty she was to me, I was always trying to look out for her. I guess you could say like, there was never that animosity between like, oh, that's like your ex-girlfriend and you don't, you care who she's sleeping with or hanging out with. Like, she'd be texting me like, Hey, like, what do you think about this guy? You know? And it just got to a point where we, where I was the one that was always there for her. And no matter what, what she thought I was going to do, or she thought I was going to be a crappy dad or thought I was going to do this. It just never happened. So I think just me just showing up and just constantly being a good guy and and always being there for her lending her money anytime she needed it being there to watch my son. Anytime it was her, you know, her scheduled time, but something came up, she got called into work or something happened. I was just always there, never missed a child support payment, lent her money anytime she needed it. And then. You know, like the old, you, you got to replace old feelings with new feelings. So the animosity that she had toward me, I think I just earned, earned that respect back from her.
0: The one thing I keep hearing over and over, whether it's talking about, uh, you know, your situation working with your son's mom, whether it be this business, these multiple different types of businesses, there's a, a degree of persistence that you have. Your ability to just keep pushing forward. It's almost like a, like a guy who hits the, you know, hits the defensive line with the football and he just puts his head down and he just gets those extra couple inches and a couple inches. Um, you you're kind of doing it through force of will. Where do you think that sort of persistence
1: came from? Like, what, what do you attribute that to in your upbringing? You know, my, my stepdad, he was never the guy that was going to go out and, and start his own business, but he was the guy that, that would outwork anybody. He worked really hard. He didn't drink. He didn't smoke. He didn't party. He was just a really, really hard worker. So I think I got a lot of my work ethic from my, from my stepdad. And then at the same time, with just the, the mindset of my father, my real dad was a junkie. He was a loser piece of shit who, who left my mom single to raise a child that a month and a half old, I wanted to be the the farthest polar opposite of that humanly possible. And then just the mindset of it's always for my son. So, Oh, oh you got to work a couple extra hours Like you, you can't sacrifice, sacrifice a couple of your hours of your sleep to, to make sure your son has a better life than you, you know? So it was just always like, okay, I got to sacrifice time or sleep and I'm sacrificing it for my son. It's a no brainer. I mean, we were up till what was it? I mean, I was up till probably one last night and I was texting you at know, like six or seven this morning. I mean,
0: Yeah, You only have
1: so many hours in a day. You got to get it.
0: (laughs) I know we we had the conversation the other day offline, so I'll let people know. But like, I think we were agreeing if they were 30 or 40 or 50 hours in a day (laughs) that we would use all those hours because there's so much to go on. And then you still fall short a little bit. Um, All that being said, though, you kind of relayed a Father's Day story. And what you've been doing, maybe Father's Day weekend story for the last couple of days, I wanted you to share it with me because I could tell the excitement that you had. It was probably the longest audio message that you've left me. (laughs) And uh, so just so, you know, for full disclosure, folks, Ryan and I go back and forth. He's been working to help me be a better producer of the stuff that we're doing. In fact, the audio that you see, the, um, you know, the new intros and and the new outros, those are all Ryan's sort of blood, sweat and tears. He just sits there and then he tweaks them and then I'll go, um, I hate to tell you this, buddy, but uh, there's something that's misspelled in there, and he'll go like, "Oh yeah, I'm on it." Like, there's never like a, "Oh man, I'm I'm sorry, like I, I can't deal with this right now." Like I've never once seen Ryan say no, and I have to imagine that you have the same kind of attitude towards your kiddo, just because that's that's the kind of guy you are. Like I said, persistence, gaining inches one at a time, uh, fighting for everything. So t- tell folks kind of like what that looked like. You got a nine year old now. W- what did you guys spend the last couple of days doing as just kind of an uplifting way to feel good about you know how dads can can really put it together for their kiddos.
1: Oh man, uh, Thursday, Thursday, I picked him up from his, uh, I, I had my show at three o'clock and I got off work at three o'clock and so went straight, picked him up. I think we went out, we went out fishing for the. We went out fishing on Thursday, then we came home and we built uh we built forts Thursday night. And then I built like the most legendary dad cup tower where we were like stacking, Uh, you know, like solo cups. Like, can we build solo cups to the ceiling? Uh, and then we were doing like, uh, you know, like the ping pong balls. Yep. So I got like stairs that come down the, down the house. Then we set up like tiles, I got tiles. And then we, then we roll the ping pong ball and it like bounces from tile to tile to tile. And you gotta try to make it in like the solo cup. So that's what we do a lot. But so Thursday night was just uh basically like dad's hanging out night, Friday. I had to do my, I had to do my show on Friday. So I had to do my show. So we got up in the morning, we went out, got breakfast, went and I forget what he wanted. He wanted to get like a stuffed animal. So went and got a stuffed animal then came back home and I did my show. Then after my show, he's like, well, what, what, what do you want to do? Dad? And I think it was like crap. You're raining out. And he said, like, can we go to, can we go to sky zone? And I was like, oh man, sky Zone's boring. Like we go there all the time. Like, isn't there a cooler trampoline park? So We get, we got online and we found this other trampoline park out in, uh, out in Milford that's called defy. And it's like the ultimate sky zone. I mean, it's got trampoline pits, everything. So we got there probably, probably four o'clock stayed there till nine o'clock that night, Saturday morning, woke up, went out, got breakfast. No, actually I made him pancakes and breakfast then we went into the pool from 12 to 3. And then at three, he's like, Well, what are we gonna do now, Dad? I'm like, well, what do you want to do? He's like, Can we go back to DeFi? And I was like, All right, cool. So <laughs> went went back to DeFi, got there at about four, four thirty, and then we stayed there until basically like nine o'clock at night, nine thirty. Went and grabbed some pizza on the way home, came home, probably built some more forts, and then Sunday, Sunday, so Sunday I had to record because I was going out of town. So I had to wake up. So we came home that night. I went to bed. And then I woke up the next morning at 5:30 in the morning, so I could start pre-recording my shows. Had pre-recorded both shows, had those edited by about noon, and was back at Defi again on Sunday from probably probably two or three p.m. all the way till about seven or eight o'clock at night. And then I was on a flight Monday morning at 9 a.m.
0: Right. So lots of uh, jumping around on these uh, these trampoline parks. I you sent me some of the pictures of it, and it looks like uh, maybe an EDM type festival there. They've got a lot <laughs> of they've got a lot of like uh, black lights and stuff like that. Uh, is, is he working on any kind of skill sets or what, what do you even do when you're there? You're just watching your kid fly through the air and, and trying not oh. to not to panic that he's going to run into other kiddos or what,
1: man, they got like, uh, the, the, this new one's really sweet. So they have like the gladiator, you know, how they get like the, like the jab sticks, mm-hmm. they have these giant float up. It's like a blow up, uh, battle sticks, you know, and they have like the balance beam and on both sides of the balance beam is the foam pit. So like, that's his new thing. Like trying to battle the bigger kids, you know, like the 10 and 12 year olds. Can he take them out? And he's getting like good, like where he learns like go up and like juke him out and then come back down and like sweep down with the legs and like take him out. So just and then he goes there with his buddies a lot. So um he's got his buddy Brandon that also goes up there all the time. So he'll meet up with his buddies and I'll kinda hang out with the other parents and we'll sit there and watch. The place is so big you you can't keep up. I can I can only jump for like an hour or two hours and I'm like, all right, dude, I'm burnt out. Later, dad. (laughs) <laughs> like, just, just sit, goes and runs around, around it's Watch. crazy yeah
0: and well he's got he's nine so he's got basically like a nuclear energy factory building inside his body as long as you feed him
1: some yeah. sugar right <laughs> Yeah, never <laughs> yeah, as long well, as you feed him sugar yeah as long as he's got calories they don't run out yeah, uh, yeah he never runs out of energy
0: so Somebody in the chat just mentioned uh, Mr. Kennedy three two one said something about how you've taught uh, everything he knows about editing and making promo videos and all kinds of things about crypto. And so there, are some of your folks that follow you are obviously uh, joining us today, and that's cool. Um, I'm curious if you can kind of share. You talked about building up a business. Um, I did something very similar when it comes to the YouTube or to the uh, to the eBay version and then I dropped out of it. I was like, "Oh, this is not good and I'm not good at it." And so I walked away with it. You stayed persistent. You grew it into an actual business. It got destroyed by circumstances in many ways because like so many people um the the sort of the COVID lockdowns and and the supply chain interruptions really destroyed what you had built up. And then that didn't slow you down. You you just straight pivoted to a completely new Thing had you ever done audio video or audio video and editing and and software that uh, handled like Adobe? Have you ever done that before that time? Was it part of your experience?
1: Well, there was a point where I had met my ex girlfriend at the time, who was a famous Instagram model. When I was doing the EDM clothing line, I met her. To, I hired her when she had like I think like ten thousand followers on Instagram, and then with like within a month of our shoot, she had like a hundred thousand. Hmm but she, she had a boyfriend at the time and then broke up. Then it was like a month later, I hired her to come do another shoot. She didn't have a boyfriend. We hung out, we hit it off. And then, so it was working with her, growing her social media, knowing that I needed, and, and when you're doing clothing and you're launching like a hundred products a month, you need six different photos of each piece of clothing. You need a skinny girl, a heavier girl, you know, like the better that you can present your product, the better that the better the odds are that somebody's gonna wanna buy it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, I just, I started working with her and she was really, really big into social media. She started taking me around to do, uh, to go to photo shoots with legendary. That's how I met Rob Hall. He's one of the most famous photographers and videographers in the state of Michigan. He's one of my really good buddies now. Uh, So I got to go just travel with all and work with the best of the best because she was really pretty. She had a lot of followers that would get the photographers a lot of attention. So they wanted to shoot with her for free just so that she would tag them in, in photos that she posted so i got to go get a lot of one-on-one work with all these photographers and then from there it was like oh well, i need this promo for my i need promos to for my clothing line and again just you know being a you know trying to start your own business you got to save save money where you can save money it was either i can find out how to make this promo myself and make it or i can pay it 200 to 300 bucks well 300 bucks at the time was a new product you know i could probably launch a product with about 500. So for 500 bucks, I can either edit my own promo or I can launch another product and that product's gonna generate me money. So everywhere I needed to save money, I was willing to to figure it out. And that's how I became really good at these.
0: What um, What sort of training did you have to do in order to get competent? Because some of the stuff, like folks, if you've seen our outro, you, you've seen the, uh, the way that the intro is built up. Like Ryan's building these out of, out of whole cloth, he's taken, you know, existing templates and and plugging in what we want. And if I go, Hey, man, could it could do do this instead? Or can we have a plane flying in? And we've got a couple (laughs) you haven't seen yet. But he's got motion videos. And he's got all these like really, really capable, um, really professional level pieces. And it sounds like you spun this up in about two years in, in your capabilities like that didn't exist two years ago. So,
1: no, it so didn't. What
0: sort of training were you going through to get this stuff done? Cuz I think that's also a barrier for a lot of people, just knowing that they're looking at a vast skill set that they don't have. You got to pick it up piece by piece. Where did you go to do that?
1: So, at one point, uh in my spare time of being in like limbo between between jobs and working and, you know, traveling with the ex-girlfriend and I was I was making these promos and I was going to start a YouTube channel. And my buddy Rob Hall did the photographer photography stuff. And he was asking me, I was teaching him stuff in Premiere Pro. And he's like, dude, you should, you should teach them, make tutorials at teaching this Premiere Pro stuff. And after effects, you're really good at this. I was like, yeah, it's a good idea. You know? So then I just started trying to teach it and trying to make tutorials on them and upload them to YouTube. That's where Mr. Kennedy was over here in the live chat. Like, yeah, he's got these tutorials up on YouTube. So I got a, don't know, like, you know, 20 or 30 tutorials. And it was just, again, just teaching yourself, right. Just watching YouTube videos, long days, long nights, trial and error stuff. Yeah, a lot of work.
0: So you were doing trial and error and you were trying to teach it by, by learning it and then teaching what you had learned. Mm -hmm. That's sort of the classic method, I guess, too, of, of how things always got done. It's like, how do I need to do it? Um, you know, innovation being necessary for you to be able to continue it. And and the cost benefit, it was like, you had the five, you had the hours, but you didn't have the $500 kind of deal. And so you were willing to invest your time. How many, how many, hundreds of hours you think you've invested in, in crafting this sort of skill set to get to a, a level that's professional?
1: There, I think there was one week, and, and people don't believe me that I slept uh, like maybe like 14 hours. There was a time where I was working 20 hours a day, almost seven days a week. One night I might get 18 hours, the next 16, then one 20, then I only might get three hours. So I, I honestly, I could not tell you hundreds. I was like a zombie. I mean, there was one point where I was pre-scooping i was dry scooping pre-workout to drive to college because i was falling asleep at the wheel i was working so much and going to school and being a father that's something we didn't touch on either that was really interesting uh that was when my son was like one to three i was like oh go to school get a good job get a college degree my work was going to pay for it so i ended up going to college too and taking full-time 16 credit hours on top of working like 60 or 70 hours a week but that was when i was having the supervised visits, so you know i had a lot of time to to go to school.
0: Because you were, you were cut down from seeing your kiddo. What, yep. um, what were you studying? What did you go to study?
1: Uh, I was, uh, I got my associates in, um, uh, industrial manufacturing engineering.
0: What was the mindset behind that? What, what was the, uh, the goal?
1: The goal was I was a controls engineer at Thai summit and I was taking like their apprentice program. And that was one of like, to get like that next level pay, you had to have, you know, these classes and all this stuff, but they didn't make you have a degree, just it was a specific set amount of classes. And I had taken so many of the classes that it just made sense to go and just get out, you know, get the degree.
0: What do you think about, uh, is there such a thing as it's good enough, I'm just going to walk away? Or do you have a mindset that uh, you have to continue? <laughs> is is there is there a, a perfection that you're always striving for when you see something like you're crafting?
1: You know, if you, you, you're you the type of person that uh, pulls their car out of the garage, washes their car, puts it back in the garage and sees that you, you missed the spot and goes, oh, well, good enough. No, hell no. You pull that car out, you'll you wash that spot, you get it done, you do it done, and you get it done right. Period. You know, never never put something off for tomorrow that you can do today. Now, those are just great, great philosophies or great, um, great quotes, but you know, I don't always live by them, but I try to. Like why, why put something off for tomorrow that you can get done today? Just do it, get it over with. Because you can only make so many logical decisions in a day. There's 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 times where, like the other night when I was editing your video, I'm literally sitting here with one eye because I see double, I, I get so tired that I start seeing double vision. So I'll just like literally sit here and put one eye, one hand on my eye. And you're like, oh yeah, you're like, yeah, dude, seraphin spelt wrong. Is that, is that premier just auto doing that? And I was like, yeah, it is. But it was really, I, I tried to edit that. I caught it, that it spelt it wrong, but I'm over here like this at like one in the morning. I've been up for like 17 or 18 hours straight <laughs> and I didn't catch it a second time. It's brutal. Yeah, yeah.
0: I, I feel like there's very few people that I deal with that do the same thing. Uh, and, I, and I often find myself up till midnight or later, and then I'm back up in the morning at, you know, five, five, five thirty or whatever, doing the same thing. But part of it is because of the the work ethic. And I, and I think you touched on that a little bit. Part of it is because there's a sense of imminence about what's going on in our country right now. and And you and I have mm. talked about that privately. Maybe kind of share with people what you've been seeing from, you know, everybody has a different perspective. Everybody's got a different sort of lens on America. And you've also been able to travel a lot and see some things differently, going to political rallies uh, and kind of jumping into this sort of uh, audio and video space. So what are you saying? What are the things that most concern you? What are the things that you just said yesterday you were getting more hopeful? What's making you more hopeful on the last two or three years that you've been watching?
1: So what's making me more hopeful is, is number one, seeing the amount of people that are waking up and really realizing what happened in 2020. If you were like me, you weren't big into politics back then. I remember, I remember when Trump lost and I remember going to the barbershop like the next day and my barbers are super, they like the hat, the Trump hats hanging the mega stuff hanging all over. And I, and I go, yeah, you guys really think that they actually rigged the election They like are watching it on Fox news talking about, you know, ballots being found and they're like, yeah, I mean, something's something's up. I'm like, you really think that they could actually rig the election? Like, they, 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 like I, I was just so blind then, you know, just, so I, I really understand how people that have been in politics for like the last seven or 10 years, like this is all they do. They have a completely different perspective on reality than I think most people out there. Like I honestly, I was playing Fortnite. This was probably like, I don't know, four or five months ago. And I, and I happened to bring up something to like, the, they were guys are my age. And I was like, yeah, hey, do you guys hear what's going on? Like they said, they're in New York or something. I like, do you guys hear what's going on in there with the vaccine? Like, no, I go, you guys know the vaccine was, you know, most likely a deadly bioweapon, right? Like, no. And I go, you know, Joe Biden's entire family is getting investigated for crimes, you know, that they're trying to charge Trump for, right? And they know. Like, so there's people out there that have no, they're completely oblivious to what's going on. So that seeing how many people that I've heard in the last couple of weeks that say they weren't big into politics or the last couple of months that weren't big into politics, but now they're awake or people saying I used to be a Democrat. I can't, or people saying, I can't believe I called, called myself a Democrat. And then the last three Trump events that I went to, barely anybody showed up because people are so afraid to go out and protest and make their voices heard because of what happened to the January 6thers. But this last Trump rally that we went to, seeing every, I mean, thousands of media outlets, tens of thousands of people down there, it was awesome. The Republican Party is getting its balls back. We're, we're starting to not be afraid. We understand that we have to be very careful because of how they manipulate. There's going to be provocateurs. There's going to be Antifa. There's going to be undercover feds most likely dressed as Trump supporters trying to start start crap. So we have to be very, very careful. But I think it's just, it was just refreshing seeing so many people coming out because I think it's going to come to a point where we we have to march. We have to stand up. Nobody ever relinquishes power. I think that's George Orwell quote. No authority ever acquires, you know, power with plans to relinquish it.
0: Yep. So all these things, you know, you're traveling around and, the, and then you're coming back in and then you've got to, you know, touch base with your son and talk to him about what, you know, what dad's doing, what dad's seeing, where dad's been. What do you, uh, what, what do you tell him about, you know, what you're seeing in the world, what you're spending your time doing and how much does he understand of it
1: at, at his age? You know, that's a, that's a really big battle. I deal with every day. Kyle, I really do. Uh, uh, you want to protect your kid and you want your kid to enjoy growing up being a child, right? You don't want him to have to try to be an adult before he should be. You want him to enjoy life. You want him to be happy and think that the world's an amazing place because it could be, Mm -hmm. you know, so I I have really hard time because he's nine, because I am vaccinated and I might drop dead at any second. I'm always living with that. I, I have to kind of teach him what's happening in the world. Like he, I, it's like, how do you explain to a child that, that a rainbow is something that a a child would think is cool and pretty. And you see in the sky is now turning into a, a symbol of a satanic cult that worships the devil. How do you, how do you tell your son that, that doctors are not actually looking out for your best interest or might not be? How do you tell your son that, you know, these vaccines that they injected into his father is most likely a deadly bioweapon designed to castrate me or completely kill me? These are all conversations that I that I don't have, but I do have in the same kind of way. Like he understands that he'll never have to get another vaccine and if any doctor, teacher or his mother ever tries to to put a needle in his arm, he needs to immediately contact me mm-hmm. and demand that they contact me because in Michigan it's against the law they can't do that without the father's consent. Um it's, in, uh,
0: it's such a different yeah. world than what you and I grew up in, though. And that's the thing. And <laughs> I know we're, we're roughly in the same age bracket. So, you know, there was kind of a, a period, and I don't know if it was because we we almost got there, and that's why they had to fight it back. They being whoever it is that's fighting this culture war that started this, the cultural Marxist, the leftist. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, these were not concerns when I was growing up. I don't think they were concerns when you were growing up. They weren't even on the – it's like if the doctor said something, it's because doctors know what's going on. Um, mm-hmm. if, uh, the people that were running for office, like they cared about our country, they disagreed about policy, who cares? You know, it didn't matter to us. And then in the meantime, you've got people getting set up now by the FBI. You got my, my little kids who, you know, I've got a six-year-old and she, she goes out to the playground and tells people, yeah, daddy didn't want to get a shot. And that's why he lost his job. And that's why the FBI might come get him. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, like, what is a six-year-old doing talking about that? There's something really crazy. There's something really off. Um, people have said it a bunch of times in the chat, they've been mentioning it over and over again about how, how, uh, you know, good times made weak men. And, and now it's taken men like you doing the things that you're doing, working yourself to the bone. And, you know, I, I know that I think even from the time that you and I started talking, um, my eyes have bags underneath them now that they didn't have (laughs) six months ago. And, and, and you're getting there too. It's like, there's only so much time, so much stress you could put on the human body. Right. Yep. Uh, but but what choice do you have if you want your children to grow up in a world that was even close to what we grew up in, yep. which, which was so carefree comparatively?
1: You know, it's crazy is my parents raised me with the mindset of go to school, get a good job, become a doctor, become a lawyer. I think at the time it was a, they wanted me to become a veterinarian. They make so much money, you only have to sacrifice ten years of your life and get in four hundred thousand dollars worth of debt. You know, right? right. Uh, go to go to that. and then my mindset really changed. Well, like, like why why would you want your kid to work? Like I want my kid to go have babies. Like I want him to meet the right girl, fall in love and then just enjoy life, you know, start his own business, but just enjoy it. I mean, I want him to do whatever he makes him happy, honestly. But in, in reality, I'm thinking like, I want to work. So my son doesn't ever have to do what I'm doing right now. My son doesn't ever have to work because the American dream was a, a man, a single man could come over to America and with nothing but a work ethic. And if he was willing to hump block or hump, you know, work his ass off, he could feed a family of five. A one man could support a family of five working 40 hours a week. And if he were to do anything overtime, double time, nobody worked on Sunday. I mean, even the slaves had Sundays off. Right. And now look at us the slaves had Sundays off. When's the last time you had a Sunday off, Kyle? Like that you didn't actually, I mean, obviously you probably do, but like, I mean, it's just crazy to me. I can't tell you the last time I just sat down on the couch and watched TV, probably six years. Maybe longer than that. Maybe yeah. Like, if I do it, it's after like 9, nine p.m. Years.
0: You know, and it's I get a little bit of time, and I'm taking it out of my sleep, uh, so I can spend a few minutes connecting on some you know piece of pop culture with my wife. So that's that's obviously not very common anymore. I actually had far more Sundays off when I worked for the government, if that tells you anything. One of the yeah. uh, these jobs that the the you know the FBI self proclaims to be you know this hardest, most honorable thing to go do. It's like I had a really good gig. I you know when I kicked off when when I left work, I left work behind and and i know that you don't but like we never leave work behind now it's never no. gone it's always in the background so even if you're doing something else it's always gnawing at you like what's the opportunity cost of this and the only time i'm able to put it away is when i'm sitting with my kiddos and i put my phone away or i leave it somewhere else even better
1: yep, and then nobody to. can
0: reach me anyway and so then i can go and sit down and play tic tac toe with my you know my two daughters that are old enough to play and and that kind mm-hmm. of thing that's the only way that i can t-
1: disconnect from any of this stuff which is it's it's like, I, I just try to make every time I spend with my son, I try to make a memory that's going to last a lifetime, right? Whether that's going fishing or, or waking him up at three in the morning because it's, you know, thunderstorming and it's hot and there's this, you know, the hill is all muddy. So we can go run out in the mud at two in the morning and slide down the hill or, You know there's a snowstorm coming in and i know he's not gonna have school so i drive all the way out to his mom's house and then pick him up and then drive another hour to the snow hill and we get to the snow hill at like five in the morning when all the kids are just starting to show up because school got canceled and we got the best sleds you know and it's it's those little things that i always just look back on and I'm like every day i want i want to make a memory that's going to last a lifetime because i might not be here for much longer you know that that, they're saying that vaccine was designed to kill almost everybody within five years Uh, whether they come out with a cure Is Pfizer going to buy a patent? Is the world, you know, is my heart just going to stop? I look at all these football players that were out there and I think of how great they must've felt if they're out there on the field playing a football game. And then all of a sudden, 30 seconds later, so I could feel like a million bucks right now and just keel over tomorrow.
0: Yeah, that, that is a, that's a crazy burden to run around with. And and I, I don't appreciate it nearly as much, I guess. Um, you know, go ahead.
1: I was going to say, I would almost have cancer rather have cancer and but, just know then having, you know what I'm saying? Because I would be sitting off. here recording videos and writing letters to my son rather than I'm just going to all of a sudden keel over from a heart attack at any given second. God forbid I'm driving with my son. That's, that's hard. It's tough to, it's a tough pill to, to sit on.
0: I, so if, I do yeah. think that there's there's a high probability that human beings have always adapted and overcome. There are people that live inside the cordon near Chernobyl, you know, that are getting hit with mm-hmm. radiation that would kill. Like if you walked into it, you'd be dead, and if you stayed there for a couple hours, but they grew up around it. They've always been in that area. They were born with it, and uh, and they they survive. So human beings are infinitely adaptable. We've kind of seen. And mm-hmm. so at least there's that. And then maybe that's a, a little bit of a solace. Like I, that is a, that is a dark proposition to, to deal with every day. And I know people, he's not just saying that, like that's, that's in Ryan's head um, because this has been something that has brought up, you know, we don't talk about it all the time, but I know that it's something that weighs on you. Um, I want to, you, you talked a little bit about the slaves didn't work on Sundays um, when, when the U S had chattel slavery. This is today is Juneteenth. I, I brought that up to you yesterday. Had, had you ever heard the holiday Juneteenth? Never. Do you ever remember anybody celebrating Juneteenth?
1: No, I had no idea. I thought it was like a like a <laughs> sweet 16th birthday or some weird thing for trans us, tranny people, honestly.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Uh, So I'm going to, I'm going to give you kind of a quick background and history on, uh, on Juneteenth for, for the listeners that don't know, and that are, that didn't grow up hearing about it, which I obviously did not. I grew up in California. I grew up in Texas. Um, I had, I heard rumblings of Juneteenth when I was a kid, but it wasn't something that was a big deal. So Juneteenth is june the 19th It is is kind of run together and abbreviated into a thing that is called juneteenth that's the way that they they phrase it out and so june 19th is the date in 1865 at the end of the civil war when two thousand union soldiers made it down to galveston on the southern coast of texas and they came in and they showed that um the emancipation proclamation had happened two years prior and that all the slaves were decreed to be free and then they set about the busy work of releasing the 250,000 or so slaves that existed in the state of Texas. And so that's the the, the basis of Juneteenth. Now, it's always been kind of a Texas thing because Texas is big on its own history. Um, I'll actually tell you a funny story. When I was a kid, I, I was born in California, moved here. My mom was born and raised in California, grew up, went to all the schools there. And so when she got to Texas, I was in third grade, and she went to the, to the, uh, principals and the and the teachers and stuff. And she said, when are you guys going to learn California history? You know, about like the missions and stuff. And she didn't realize that every state sort of teaches their own history. They wouldn't all mm-hmm. teach California history. It never even occurred <laughs> to her, which is kind of funny. It's kind of charming. So she had no idea. She was like, why aren't they talking about the missions up and down the uh, the California coast, even though we're in Texas? Cal- Texas had its own missions. But, um, but Texas was big on teaching those histories. I don't even remember learning about Juneteenth in Texas history. And I have... I don't have a photographic memory, but I have one of those memories, like my parents will call me up and ask me about a fight they had when we were in fi- when I was in fifth grade to try to figure out if I remember what the details were. And I, I generally do. Like that's kind of like my curse. Um, I always laugh at with my wife. I, she's like, "How do you even remember stuff like that?" And I was like, "Well, I, I never smoked weed when I was a kid and that's probably why. Like, but part of it is just a natural gift, you know we all have this thing. And so for whatever reason, that's the story of Juneteenth. It was the release of slaves two years after the fact. Um, Some people refer to it as Black Independence Day, that they were liberated, um, you know, across the country was sort of the last outpost because Texas was the end of the frontier at that point in many ways. And so getting down there and releasing the slaves across America. So the thought process behind it, I think is good. I think the idea that we celebrate, you know, one of the great atrocities in American history being eliminated, I think that's great. I think that's a that's fantastic. The problem is, is the person who did it is such a controversial individual on the political right that we've got this Joe Biden figure who signed it into a federal holiday. So that right now it's a, I don't know if the banks are off, but I know all the federal employees are off. So we may have some extra feds listening on their own time. Um, all the guys that are our listeners are getting overtime if they uh, if they're getting paid to be <laughs> to be in our chat room right now. Uh, you're talking about 2021, this got signed on and it's to me, Juneteenth being signed as a federal holiday over some of the other holidays that we should have had, maybe like something about nine 11 would have been timely. Uh, obviously this could have been a long time coming, but it almost feels like a Hillary hot sauce in the handbag kind of thing, kind of a pandering holiday. And I'm not sure if it's the thing that makes sense to, if it took so long, why did it take so long? You know, who was clamoring for this to be a federal holiday, that sort of thing. And knowing that stuff and kind of hearing that, what do you think about, uh, you know, as a national holiday, where does it fit in your, in your sphere?
1: I think that, I think that everything that Joe Biden does is designed to trigger conservatives because this is a topic where you say one wrong thing in a tweet, you wake up, it upsets you and you tweet out something racist or something, you know, uh, anti-Semitic and then boom, you're deplatformed. platformed I feel like half of this, everything that they do is designed to, to silence as many conservative voices as humanly possible, because we're going to be the ones that are going to stick up and speak out about it. And when we do, we're getting nuked off the face of the internet every everywhere we look.
0: Yeah. And then one of the things that you sent me early this morning, and I, I got it in, you know, Catholic Vote had a, a piece on this. My, my father sent me one. There's all these shootings that are happening And they're in (laughs) predominantly gang-related, you know, black culture stuff, which I don't think is the majority of black people in this country by any means, and yet it's the one that gets the most play. So we had 20-something people shot, at least one person killed in San Diego, which is wild. Um, You had another almost 20 shootings, and a couple of people died in Chicago, which is sort of like a regular weekend, um, which is also sad during the summer. You know, they have over 235 homicides so far in the city of of, uh, Chicago. And so much of it, I feel like- it's got to be related to the fact that there is a father problem, and it's not for lack of celebrating Juneteenth, which I think is maybe maybe the the, the lower end of the scale. Maybe Father's Day is the one that ought to be the national holiday. Luckily, they kind of coincide, so you get a long Father's Day weekend. But uh, it's something to be said about this this lack of men being present to show young men how to be men. What do you think?
1: I, I agree, Kyle. I think I think that the system is designed to, to separate separate families, especially like, I remember I moved out of my house when I was the first time when I was like 13, you know, moved in with my girlfriend and, you know, my mom's like, oh, you, you want to smoke in the, you want to smoke in our house. You don't live here. This is our roof, our rules. You don't like the rules move out, Mm -hmm. you know, and my girlfriend's mom let us smoke cigarettes. And at the time, like looking back at the mindset that I had when I was 13, it wasn't family, family, family. And then I look at like how indoctrinated I actually was. And how great my parents really were mm-hmm. but society wasn't wasn't teaching us that so i feel like that there's a there's a major problem when the government itself is trying to separate families and they're no longer teaching like what do you call it? like the nuclear family yeah it's no it's no longer taught they're trying to pretty much do everything that they can to destroy that you know, be a single mom raise your kids you know or don't have kids I, I don't know man i think i think everything's just a big sigh up now <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think uh, uh, the faith in institutions. I had a conversation with Tracy Beans about this the other day, and uh, Tracy Beans from UncoverDC.com, excellent you know, editor there who also sort of had a strong—she's always been sort of a good presence, but I think uh, post-COVID is one of those things where the people have been turning away from the so-called traditional media because they've lost the faith of the of those that are consuming it. They're out there pushing a narrative that is no longer true— because the blind faith is gone, we can't just look at things and go, "Oh, obviously they know what's best." Fox News knows what's true. CNN knows what's true. Doctors know what's true. People are looking and questioning all of it, and they've eroded that, and they did it on purpose in some ways. Um, and one of those things they've done is trying to act like families are not one of the most important things that you can have, that the that the family is somehow secondary to what the government's going to provide for you. I've I reflected that um, that leftism is sort of a secular religion. Um, you mentioned earlier, you know, kind of a satanic cult on the left. What, um, what sort of values, what sort of religious sort of experience are you teaching your son so that he can kind of resist some of these things that are out there?
1: You know, we're, we go to 242 church. Um, we don't go there as much as I'd like, but God, God, I mean, he, he, he understands, you know, we go, we go to church. He understands that, that whether you want to, fully believe in God or not what God stands for is good orderly direction. And, you know, always trying to, to, to be a good person, be a better person. Uh, you know, like when we go, when we go shopping to the, at the, at, at Walmart, right. And you, and you pull in and the parking lot's kind of full, but there's a spot right up front. Do you take that spot right up front or do you go park in the back? And hopefully that, you know, some old lady can have that spot. Mm-hmm. We go into anywhere, we go into a store he'll be the first person to hold the door. It's please and thank you to everybody. I mean, I probably have one of the best, most polite, respectful children that you could ever have. I mean, he is literally the best kid humanly possible. And my mindset has been that when, when when a kid grows up, he doesn't act out or not act out and not be a bad kid because he's afraid to get in trouble. I was never afraid to get in trouble, right? What I didn't have was respect for my parents. So I feel like the more that when a child, grows up, he chooses to not be a bad kid because he respects the parent. And that is the, I, you know, I, I've never talked to him like a child. I'm always very honest with him. Some things are obviously he's too young to understand, but I always try to give him the benefit of the doubt. I always try to tr- treat him like an adult and trying to teach him that, you know, cause church is boring for a kid, but we go to 242, So it's like they got live bands and they, and they have a giant soccer field and basketball courts there. So it's kind of like a, you know, give a little to get a little, Mm-hmm. And like, it's like, I don't pay my son to do chores. I pay my son to do homework. I pay my son to read books. I pay my son to write book reports because I don't want to teach my son that it's okay to go take out somebody's trash to get a paycheck. No, that's not okay. I want you to invest in yourself. I was paying him at one time to make YouTube videos. He was making these little 15 second dragon ball Z shorts and he's got like 500 followers on his YouTube channel, just making these little shorts. So I was giving you want roadblocks. I'll give you a dollar in Roblox for every 15 second short you make. And mm-hmm. all he does is like screenshot like five dragons up ball Z photos and puts them in like a little app that I showed him on his phone, and yeah. So, do so you're teaching kind of my, him my sort thoughts. of a
0: how to fish as opposed to uh, handing him the fish kind of
1: idea? Yes, absolutely. So, I want to pay him to invest in himself, right? Yeah. When you read a book, you're gaining knowledge, and you're going to use that knowledge later on in life. So, if you're willing to take the time now and invest in yourself, you're only going to become that much better in life if that makes sense. Yeah, I worded that wrong.
0: I think it made sense. And the thing is, I've never considered the idea that uh, paying your kid to do chores was a – that's an interesting frame for me. I'm going to meditate on that. Um, I, I like walking away with the things that I haven't thought of before, and I haven't thought of that. Uh, I do like the idea that there are certain things you do just because it's the thing you do to be in our household. And I, I think I learned mm-hmm. a lot of that. I mean, there was – you've got to maintain your space around you. Do you notice, and this is just a random amusing I have, but I think it has to do with fatherhood. I think it has to do with families. Do you notice that people that are in our age bracket are not mowing their lawn or taking care of their yards in the way I remember seeing when I was a kid? Was that a thing in your in your growing up that people took care of their, their property in a different way than they do now?
1: Oh, absolutely. My grandpa would cut the grass twice a week. I mean, to the T. And like sometimes even like the, like the lines had to be straight. Like, I couldn't drive. Like, he would get mad when I'd, he'd pay me like $10 to cut the grass and I would drive in like circles and all over. He'd be like, no, like the lines have to go this way and that way. And like all the weeds have to be pulled, edging have to be truck, mall has to be out. And now you just go through subs and it's like, you can just tell people just don't, they don't have that pride because they're not going outside and spending time with their neighbors. Like, that's what people used to do. On the weekends, you'd hang out, you'd enjoy with your neighbors. Everybody knew each other in a subdivision. The kids would all go play roller hockey at the end of the sub. And now, we're just not being raised with those same values. So I think it's the, the fact that we, we're we not spending as much time with our neighbors and we're not going outside as much and we're not actually enjoying life as much or the fact that people, like I said, are working two jobs just to get by, just to put a roof over their kid's head. Do they really have time to go out and cut the grass and weed and do all these things? Yeah. What do you think?
0: Uh, maybe so. I'm, I'm, I'm curious about that. What do you think the changing was? What was the point that changed that
1: over where people stopped seeing their neighbors? The work the fact that like, even when I was a kid on certain holidays, like if you got presents on Easter, good luck finding batteries for those toys. Like, it was hard to find a gas station that was open on Easter. Mm-hmm. I remember getting Christmas presents and not even be able to go use them because I was out of batteries and there was literally absolutely nothing opened. And at one point they tried to boycott like Walmart or something for forcing their, the people to work on Christmas Eve or Christmas day. So it's, it's, I think it's just society. I think it's changing. I think that they, they're trying to make that the normal. Instead of people standing up and going, Why the hell am I working seven days a week? Why? Oh, that's right, because corporations bought everything. And this is this giant circle of of work seven days a week, and then maybe you can retire at 60.
0: Yeah. The, and the difference between the work that you're talking about, this is like hourly wages that are not building investment in yourself, as opposed to the things that you're doing, where it's like, I have something that's going to generate my my baseline, mm-hmm. and you're investing. On your own time because it's the right thing to do because you think you're going to change things for your kids which is literally the way that uh americans have always sort of dreamt that they would pass on an inheritance they would pass on a legacy they'd pass on some sort of financial ability to their kids so that they started at a higher rung on the ladder than we all started i think that's that's the case for my dad for sure i think that's the case that uh, you're kind of explaining and what you're hoping for for your son hourly jobs are not going to get you there doing that doing seven days a week
1: well you can't even save in fiat currency which is something that's drastically different than our parents' generation. Like back before the 70s, your parents could literally save in dollars and they could pass that wealth on to the next generation. Mm -hmm. You can no longer save in dollars. I mean, if your great-great-grandparents would have made $10,000 and left that to you in like 1932, for you to buy what you could have bought with $10,000 in 1932, they would have had to have left you 250,000. But if you would have gone, if you would have went back to like 1970, you know, that 10,000, they would only had to left you like 30. Does that make sense? So in yeah. the last, like the erosion of our currency is years, dramatic. and then especially in the last, you know, we're going we have 5% inflation. If people don't understand what that means, that means that your value, you put money in the bank and you're not getting a, a 5% raise every year. You are technically making less money than you made the year before. And that and that's the, that's what the inflation numbers that they tell you, that's mm-hmm. the governments where they've taken basically everything humanly possible out of that that you actually buy on a regular basis. So if you wanted to calculate the actual real inflation, we're probably talking about, you know, hundreds of a percent, because if, if, if a gallon of milk is $2 today, and then a year from now, that gallon of milk goes to $4. And then the next year it goes to $10. So over a three year period, your, your gallon of milk goes from, from $2 to $10 mm-hmm. goes up four or five X 500%. Let's just say, Yep. right. And then the next year after that, it stays at $10. What is inflation on that gallon of milk? Zero. Ten dollars to ten dollars, right? So infl- just because inflation is coming down, nothing is getting cheaper. Right. It this just means it's not going year. up at nine percent like it was. So yeah. it went from nine percent inflation to five percent inflation. Things are still going up at five percent, which is insane. Did so you-, you can't save in you can't save in dollars if you're a firefighter, a first responder, a medic, a teacher, the people that are most important to society, you can no longer work a nine to five and put dollars in a bank and pass wealth on to the next generation. You literally have to learn how to go home, become an expert investment or an expert investor and figure out how to put your money into an investment vehicle. Because if you don't, you will be lucky to retire, let alone pass on wealth to the next generation. And that's how you know the system is absolutely broken. What's going on with Biden, Trump, like none of it really matters if you break it back down to just our currency. Without the U.S. dollar being a U.S. dollar, without it stabilizing, without us, you know, defeating this inflation and waking enough people in America up to realize, like, your government is taxing 53 cents out of every dollar you make.
0: Yeah, between your consumption of uh, sales tax, between all of your property taxes, your income taxes, any kind of wealth transfer taxes, all these things, estate taxes at the end of the day, 53. Um, our, Our founding fathers would have been stacking bodies by this point, don't you think?
1: Oh, absolutely. They fought a revolution over a 3% sales tax. And I have an extremely good whiteboard video on YouTube that actually breaks down. It goes all the way back to 1865. It's a whiteboard video. It's extremely good. Mr. Kennedy, I'll tell you about it. And it breaks down. Okay. Here's what our taxes were in 1865, boom, 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 all the way to like 1912 when the federal reserve was established. I mean, even in like 1895, our founding fathers or our government abolished tax. Government to tax us, and it wasn't until like 1912 or 1913 when the Federal Reserve was established, and that's a whole story in itself. Yep. That that our that our founding fathers wouldn't even allow the taxes to happen. So imagine even when they were like four percent or three percent. Imagine how much more money you would have in your bank today. Imagine how much better of a life you could provide for your children if your government was only taxing you five percent. And that's where we're gonna have to get back to for our for our, for us to get out of this and our our economy to recover. It's gonna have to be a flat tax. There is no way that you can continue to tax citizens 55% or 53% and people just be okay with it. It's absolutely insane.
0: Did I, did I ever tell you the flat tax story in my household? No, tell it to me. So my wife was a lib raised in uh, Brooklyn, New York, and had never been around anyone who had had a discussion about finances. I was in the military at the time. And so we were just dating. And so we get together and we're talking about taxes and she's telling me about her perspective. You know, she came out of a very left-leaning, very sensitive, very emotional position because she's a therapist by trade. Um, she went to, a, you know, a liberal arts part of University of Texas and Austin is pretty lib and well. So anyway, so she has all these kind of ideas. And so we start talking about money and I was just like, you know, the government is really jacked up when it taxes everybody. And uh, her mom was a high earner, $300,000 or so, something like that, you know, for a long time. And I said, do you think it's fair that your mom has to pay 50% of the money she makes in taxes? You know, 50 cents out of every dollar she brings in is is tax revenue. And uh, so she's only making half of that that she takes home. And she was like, well, I don't have to pay that much. I only pay something like, you know, 36% because she was obviously in a much lower (laughs) tax bracket. And so she goes, uh, she goes, well why doesn't everyone just pay the same amount of taxes? I said, the same percentage? And she goes, yeah. I said, do you understand that the more you make, the higher percentage of taxes you pay, it's called a progressive income tax scale. That's what the progressives on the left have come up with. And she goes, well, that seems very unfair. And I go, yeah, why? She goes, well, everyone should just pay the same percentage. And if you make more, you obviously pay more in gross, but you pay the same percentage as everyone else Then everyone's got skin in the game. And I said, well, you are now the most right leaning person in this room <laughs> when it comes to federal taxes. You know, I would be happy to have a step down progressive income tax, but you're correct. A flat tax is obviously the most fair. And for whatever reason, that was probably the, the initial awakening that she had about fundamental fairness and the fact that leftist policies are not fair. And honestly, they're really pessimistic if you think about it. The only way that you can believe that the rich should be paying a higher percentage of their income, not a higher number, but a higher percentage, is if you think that you could never be one of those people and, and that the government somehow is going to spend your money better than anybody else. And so anyway, I just thought that was really funny. And it's, it's one of those small awareness moments. You can have them with your kids. You can have them with people who are young. And uh, they can understand fundamental fairness is there. There is nothing fundamentally fair about a leftist sort of position. And, uh, and and that's one of them. And like I said, it was an awakening for my wife. And then, uh, you know, maybe three months later, she was telling me, well, if everybody in Mexico just wants to be in the America, why don't we just conquer Mexico and all Central American countries yep. all the way down to the Panama Canal? And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, warmonger, take it take it easy there. <laughs> but um, but it, is, it is a kind of awakening moment for people when they realize that their money is not reasonable. It's not being used to the best effect. And then think about this. Think about the welfare state. Think about how much money it takes just to send out welfare checks, the apparatus that's behind setting up all of the payment processing and all that, that's all government waste because it's totally inefficient. And it could easily be done by people who would volunteer to do so at charities and churches and things like the way that has always been done in human history. So we're kind of backwards. I I wanted to share that. Then I want you to tell me, why is Trump your guy in 2024? You and I go back and forth about this. I have a lot of misgivings about anybody in politics. You're 100% in. You tell me you wear a Trump hat and, and shirt places. Do you have Trump shoes?
1: Uh, I do. Well, no, I have uh, I have shots by Matt American flag shoes that match my Trump hoodie.
0: Love it. OK, so yeah. you go out there and you're telling people and you are repping, you know, merch that shows that you're 100 percent behind Trump. Why is Trump the solution to the problems that you see and that uh, that we talk about?
1: So I'm, I'm not like one of those people that only wears like the ultra mega shirts. You know, I I wear them if I'm going to like a special event or, you know, just to, to a Trump rally. I'm, I don't always wear them out. I don't have Trump stickers on my, on my car. Uh, I did have a Trump sign that I bought for my front lawn, but I, I think it's still in the package, but, but Trump's my guy because in my lifetime, there has never been a president who has done more for the American people and who's done more to put the American people first than president Trump. I also know that you know, Trump's one of Trump's mottos that he lives by. And this is, he's, he's lived by this. And, and Trump is a, a guy with promises made promises kept when he tells us he's going to do something, he he does it he tr- or at least tries to do it. He might get railroaded by all the rhinos in Congress and all the, all the people in the swamp, but Trump's been screwed. Right. And his motto is if you get screwed by somebody, screw them back 10 times harder. and And it's not even to teach the person that screwed you over a lesson. It's to teach anybody else that might think about screwing you over, that you're going to teach them a lesson. And what's been done to this country and what they've put us through over the last three years since Joe Biden has taken office, and even I would say the the four years prior while Trump was president, and all the constant bombarding of trying to destroy this man, they've screwed Trump. And the people that screwed Trump screwed every one of us. So if if Trump does one thing, he keeps his promises and it's promises made, promises kept. They screwed him over. I can't wait to see Hillary Clinton, Joe Biden, the Obamas, and every other person in the deep state that's been involved with lying to us, getting us involved in these wars. I want those documents declassified. I want the FBI dismantled and scattered into a thousand pieces and rebuilt from the ground up in a decentralized way where everything's not centralized in Washington. I could go on for hours. Uh, He took 1.7 million women off food stamps So if you just think about that feeling, like I know the feeling, like I said, when I graduated college, when my business was making $125,000 a year, when I was just able to, um, hold on. (laughs) When I was, uh, when I was able to just, to just provide that life for my son. So, I mean, you know, Americans gained 7 million more jobs than, than the government expected during Trump's time in office. The middle class income ran raised by $6,000. That's more than five times during the entire previous administration. So Obama was in there for eight years and your income as an American only rose by $1,000 in in eight, over an eight year period. Trump did 6,000 in, in, in four years, the unemployment rate reached 3.5%. He achieved 40 months uh, straight, low employment jobless claims hit a 50 year low. The number of people claiming unemployment insurance as a share of the population hit the lowest record. I I could go on and on. He lifted 7 million people off food stamps, 7 million people for the first time in their life. Most likely were lifted off of food stamps. Poverty rate for African Americans, Hispanic Americans reached record lows. Income inequality fell for two straight years and by the largest numbers in over a decade. The bottom, and here's my favorite, the bottom 50% of American households saw a 40% increase in net wealth. Wages rose faster for low income and blue cow workers, a 16 percentage pay increase which is insane. African American home ownership increased from 41.7% to 46.4%. He created more than 1.2 million manufacturing and construction jobs. You know, the tax cuts that he did for us, the fact that the stock market was booming, Trump was making us rich. And he was doing so by taxing these other nations. So, I look at is 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 DeSantis going to do that? Is is RFK going to go in there and absolutely destroy the deep state? Maybe. And that, and that is the big question. I'm literally praying and praying to God that somebody comes in to the White House and is good, and it is as good as Donald Trump, as good as Donald Trump was. Not to mention how much better I think Donald Trump's gonna even be this time than he was last time. So why would I wanna vote or risk it and risk getting another Obama, another Jed Bush or another George Bush, another Bill Clinton? I mean, look back when Clinton was in office. A lot of people think thought Clinton was one of the greatest presidents of all time. And then the same with Obama. I mean, there was there was one time when my son actually came home. This is probably like a year ago. And like I was talking about, he said, Yeah, but but Obama's the best president. Like that's what they're teaching these kids in school. That's what these some of these people actually think. Right. Not really knowing that, you know, Obama was probably the deadliest president. He killed more people than anybody. Like any president in US history was like drone striking everybody. He had drone striked American citizens on US soil and then drone stroke an american citizen on foreign soil on foreign insane. soil yes
0: i don't know about the on uh, on american soil what is there a name of that person you're you're thinking of
1: that was that guy's son wasn't it he he hit the he hit the dad on us soil and then he hit the son on foreign soil if I, i'm not mistaken
0: i think we have to fact check that one if someone if you guys yeah, know that, that, one in, that one if you know that in the chat i'm not familiar with that one That was a pretty impressive list of uh, of things. You have that on your phone as like a set of
1: notes. It looks like I do. Absolutely, I I read it almost every day.
0: And and one of the things that's really impressive is, and I think this is the big differential between when you ask like, oh, why is why is Joe Biden a good president? They'd be like, he's accomplishing all these things in Congress. It's like, well, that's not really what a president does. Um, But you know, we're materially like my four hundred one k, my thrift savings account is is way worse off. You know, it's it's uh, double digits down. And, uh, I think we're, you were mentioning things about, uh, the default rate on, on vehicles is really high. Do you want to tell people about that? Cause I think it's interesting.
1: Yeah. So six point, uh, in like the average, so like, if you take a look, go back through time, the average amount of Americans that default on their car, car loans every month ranges from like three to five and a half every once in a while, you'll see like a 6% for like a month and then it will drop right back down from December to January we went from 3.1% of Americans defaulting on their car loans to 6.8% of Americans in one month, 6.8% of Americans defaulting on their auto loans. That's just over a month. And now in, in February, it could have went down, right? I have not seen the numbers since January. And I assume that I have not seen those numbers on purpose because no matter where I look, I cannot find them. So I assume that they're, they're trying to not show us that. And then if you talk about the amount of Americans right now that are in credit card debt, the average American citizen has a credit card balance of five thousand three hundred and seventy-five dollars. Now, these these numbers might be, you know, last month or whenever I learned them, but they're still relevant, right? So, five thousand three hundred and seventy-five dollars. So, I think seventy-five percent of Americans have a credit card balance. So, if the average is five thousand three hundred and seventy-five, you could assume that most likely seventy-five percent of Americans have a credit card balance of that of that amount of money. And then, if you just Google simple, what is the average credit card interest rate? In the United States, it's like 21.29 percent. So if you just scale that down to twenty percent, and then you say that the average American has five thousand in credit card debt, the seventy-five percent of Americans are paying a thousand dollars every month just to pay off the interest on their credit card debt. Bankruptcies right now are accelerating at a rate faster than they did in 08 And everybody over here is telling us that you'll you'll listen to the experts and the big, oh, you know. We're not in a recession on unemployment, you know, unemploy- uh, unemployment numbers aren't up. There's the job openings. There's still tons of jobs out there. We're not in a recession. Well, that's like saying I haven't got hit by a bus. Well, yeah, you haven't got hit by a bus till you're hit by a bus. And if you go back and look at the charts, by the time you see those unemployment numbers go up, you are in full blown recession. There is no planning. There is no soft landing. There's no prepping for it. It's like, you just, oh, oh, bus is here. You just get smoked by a bus. Like, yeah. Oh, wow. We're in a recession. It's going to get really, really bad here. I think, because yeah, what does the, what is the, what is Joe Biden done to lead you to believe that he's going to make things better?
0: Well, we haven't seen anything that's been better. Uh, in fact, even my, my brothers who are all pretty left-leaning have been mentioning things like, Hey man, you know, my, my savings, my, uh, my investments are doing poor. Well, we, we need a, a Republican president In they don't like Trump, but there's something funny when people on the left are looking at their, their bank accounts and going like, geez, God almighty. Um, you know, what are we doing? And uh, this is a guy that's put, you know, radical gender ideology far above like basic, you know, fiscal solvency, and we're not doing it. So I I appreciate that you have some, you know, even if people disagree with what you're saying, they have to refute the facts that you're bringing to it. I don't have any feeling or uh, emotions about numbers. And uh, that's kind of the thing you have to have if you want to vote for guys like Joe Biden, you know, the, the feeling stuff is like, he's obviously backing things like, pro-abortion stances and trying to put federal dollars behind it and, and really changing the fundamental fabric of our country. But when it comes just to the nuts and bolts of finances, I hope people vote with their pocketbook and look around and say, am I richer or poorer than I was a couple of years ago? Is gasoline a reasonable price since we've dropped off the energy independence spectrum? And mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. I like it when uh, when people come and they say, this is my guy and here's why and these are the numbers and this is the performance record. And they're hard to refute. It's very weird to me that somebody would support this other guy for so-called uh, class and decency, and we'll we'll put out a video tomorrow that you have, have been working on very very hard and put many hours into for people to kind of see just a quick taste of what the uh, the hope and decency looks like in this particular administration, which is um, it's not there. I don't know, like it's just not it's not the thing that we thought we were signing up for. Maybe uh, maybe tell people where they can catch your show, where they can follow you, all those kind of things. This kind of commentary is is what you what you do. These are the facts and the and the numbers you bring to bear on it. And, uh, and obviously I wanted people to have a real world experience of, you know, how you got there, how you became someone who was interested in politics and, and what your, uh, your credibility is on the background when they, when they go and listen to your show.
1: Uh thanks. Gal. You can find me on LFA TV. You guys can see the poster uh, behind me. I'm over on LFA TV. It's exclusively on rumble. It's a new up and coming news network. One of the greatest news networks. I think that, that you'll find out there, we have, we have no filter. We don't hold back. Uh, Jeremy Harold, he's the CEO of LFA TV. He's never once tried to censor me, tell me what I can say, can't say. It's just all about truth and honesty. So it's a great place to find an alternative, uh, an alternative take on what the mainstream media is trying to brainwash you into believing. I also do a lot of stuff on YouTube as well. My YouTube channel is Ryan Mata. You can find me over on Twitter at Ryan Mata Media. You can find me on Instagram at Ryan Mata News. Search Ryan Mata pretty much on any platform. I'm on almost every one of them. With a different end because i've been deep you know at one point they were all ryan mata or shots by mata but i've lost so many i've been platformed by so many that you know i have to come in with the second best i guess
0: and you're on uh, true social at ryan mata just the straight name correct
1: yes sir yes sir
0: and what time is your show on lf uh lfa tv
1: lfa tv it's called shows called mata a fact and it's on every day at 2 p.m I'm kind of jealous that your name that is
0: so it's so um, applicable to adding like a cool clever phrase at the end of it. I don't have anything like (laughs) that. If I said something about seraphin, it'd be like seraphin some kind of shark fin soup or something, and I'd I'd have to really stretch to make something clever on there. all right, folks. Well, you can follow Ryan. I'm really appreciative that he spent some time with us today. I think that uh, I think there's some value in all the things that he's had to share. And the, and the key thing too, I think, is that uh, this country needs fathers. Ryan is one of those fathers. And so I'm very appreciative of him spending some of his time during the work week. He has been working on the behind the scenes. So don't be surprised if you hear more from Ryan and see more from the two of us kind of building the stuff up. And uh, thanks for what you're doing, bud. We will talk again real soon. And ladies and gentlemen, you have been listening to The Kyle Serafin Show. I know we went a little bit long. We like to do that on these Mondays. I want to read a five-star review that came off Apple. We've reached over 550 of those reviews. That's from you all putting those five-star reviews out there. Uh, This one is from J.W. Rost, and it is entitled Man of Courage. I'm going to skip some sort of the – the, the very complimentary things he had to say about me, and I'm just going to dump into it. It says, not too many people would be brave and, yes, heroic when it comes forth to saying what you have to say about their former employer. Your podcast is informative and honest, and I pray that you continue to expose the corrupt institutions in our government and the malignant cancerous individuals who have betrayed this country. God bless. Uh, God bless you as well, J.W. Ross. We are appreciative of all the prayers that people are doing. That is what keeps us aloft here in many, many ways, and it keeps us uh, going along. I want to thank all those who join us in the live chat. Again, you can join us every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 9.30 on Eastern Time. That's going to be those of you who are on the far side of this country. Those of you who are in the middle of it, what I call Texas America and the center part, flyover areas. Uh, you can find us at 8.30, that is Central Time, and, uh, and if it's in California and you are so motivated, I believe it is 6.30 right now before the time change, very early in the morning if you want to come in there, so make sure you join us with a cup of coffee. And uh, please support our sponsors. Like I said, you can uh, check out patriotcoolers.com. You can check out catholicvote.org. The uh, notes are in the show description, and uh, I really do appreciate my guest again, Ryan Matta, for joining me today. Folks, we will see you again on Wednesday with more of The Kyle Serafin Show. Thanks for listening to the Kyle Seraphin show. Streamed live Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays on Rumble.com/slash Kyle Follow Kyle on Twitter
1: and TrueSocial at Kyle Serafin.